Okay, last week I had gone into the concept of what is the Torah. So what we saw is very interesting is that based on the amount of hester or, dar- or uh, concealment or darkness, the amount of the absence of God, it requires more and more mitzvot or Torah in order to remove that uh, concealment. So we saw that uh, Torah actually in a certain sense grows, you see. So it starts from one mitzvot to seven mitzvot, and then from seven mitzvot, it, start, it goes to the taryag, not in the form of being commanded. Then it goes in the form of being commanded at Har Sinai, right? And it continues, and then what becomes added is all the the takanot uh, and gzerot of the Sanhedrin. And then you have minhagim, which are customs from the community. And then it even adds humrot, which is stringencies, which are basically personal. <clears throat> so we see that the Torah grows as the darkness grows also. Because you need a certain amount of Torah to uh, remove all the klipot, all the, the, the uh, uh, evil and whatever, the darkness uh, and so on. Of you know of the world, which is really the result of the Jews sinning, and that's what happens. You see, and this is what we understand. <clears throat> now, besides the concept of the uh, Torah, there's also been a change in the Metaken, which are who are those people that are supposed to really rectify creation. Now, I pointed out something very important, which is a question I usually ask. We know Adam Harishon was the first man, but we know he wasn't Jewish. We know that. And the question is, why not? Because we know the concept of being a Jew is critical to the entire creation. In fact, there's a midrash that says that God made a condition with the entire creation. And he said, if the Jews accept the Torah, fine. If they do not accept the Torah, then I will not create the world. And the, he calls the Jews Yisrael. Right? So therefore, we see that in order for the world to exist, then Yisrael has to accept the Torah. Because they can rectify creation. And we know what that means. We know that that means that they can bring God back into the creation and begin the whole concept of the Messianic era, and also the future world, Ghanaian and the future world. But we also know that Adam HaRishon was not Jewish. So it begs the question of why not? Why wasn't he Jewish? If that was a major condition for the existence of this world. Now, what is interesting is that, and this is that most people don't realize, is that God never intended that the Jews should be the one to be Metakin. Uh And the reason for that is because he wanted mankind, what's called Minhu Enushi, humankind, to be able to do the Tikkun, which means that everybody could do the Tikkun. Now, we know what the requirements are. Somebody who can rectify creation is a unique individual. What that individual can do 
is bring the presence of God closer to this world. But the only way you could do it is if you have a nishama, if you have a certain type of soul. Your soul, therefore, has to be connected to all the olamot, the, all the dimensions of reality, you see. And we know that there are five dimensions. We have the dimension that we are in, which is called uh, Asiya, the world of action. Then you go higher, which is world called Olam Yitzira, the world of formation. Then you go higher, which is the world Bria, of creation. Then the world of Atzilut, which is the world where God himself, in a certain sense, resides. And then you have the world called Adam Kadmon, which means primordial man. And that is the world of the future world. So we see that there are five different dimensions. And therefore, in order to be able to deep tikkun, your acts, whether it be in thought, in speech, or in deed, has to be able to, in some way, purify each of these worlds. The only one who could do that is somebody who has a unique type of nishama. That nishama has to have five parts, just like there are five worlds. He has to have some aspect of his nishama that is connected, you see, like a cable, is connected to Asiya, and that is called the nefesh. He has to have another chilek part that is connected to Yitzira, and that is called Ruach. Then he has to have a third part, which is connected to Bria. That's called Nishama, which is a term for a particular part of the Nishama. So that is called Nishama. Then he has what's called a fourth part, which is called Chayo. Uh, Chayo is the aspect of the Nishama that is connected to Atzilut. And then he has to have a part which is connected to Adam Kadmon, primordial man, which is the future world, and that is called Yechida. You see. So therefore, that Nishama that a person has, has to have these five parts, and they're all connected to all the five Olamot. And therefore, as a result of that, whatever he does, any action that he takes, which is whether he thinks, he speaks, or he does an act, physical act, will have a, some type of an influence or a con- consequence in all five ulamot because he is connected to all the five ulamot. You see, if a person is not connected to the five ulamot, let's say he's only connected to the lowest part, Olamasiyah, then he can do nothing for Tikkun. He cannot in any way bring in the presence of God. And he cannot bring down any kind of ore, light, Kedusha, into the world, you see. He can only affect that world which he is connected to. But he, he cannot connect or influence in any which way. He cannot affect any olam other than the world he's connected to, which is this world. Therefore, it depends on the type of neshama that a person has. Now, in the beginning, so this is a neshama that is able to do a tikkun, only if he has these five parts, you see. Now, 
God created Adam Rishon, and Adam Rishon had these five parts. That would mean that he could connect to and influence or affect any one of the worlds that he was connected to. If that is the case, we begin to realize something very interesting. That Adam Rishon is a Metaken, which is interesting. He's not Jewish, we know that. He's a human being, we know that. But he's a human being which is not Jewish, yet he has the Nishama of a Metaken, somebody who can rectify creation, you see. And therefore, he is able to do that. But remember, if somebody is able to Metaken, he can rectify creation, then Metaken, he can also damage creation. Same thing. Because if you sin, then you also influence all the dimensions. And it is possible, therefore, to damage different worlds. So whoever can metakein can also mekalkeo. That is the, 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 the rule. So therefore, Adam Rishon, who is connected to all the world's dimensions, if he does the mitzvah, which is do not eat from the tree, of, good, of, of knowledge of good and evil, then that's great. He can bring in the divine presence. If, however, he can't do that, or rather he damages, he does a sin, then guess what? He will damage what? He will damage all the olamot. That's terrible. Because if he damages all the olamot, then they will require a tikkun by somebody else, you see. And in the end, that's what Adam did. He did the sin, which means he ate from the tree that he was commanded not to eat from. And as a result of that, he was able to damage every single aspect of his nishama, as well as all the olamot, you see. And the damage that he did is that he introduced klipa. Klipa is really tum'ah. It is sort of like beings that can defile. And that's what he did as a result of his sin, you see. Now part of the problem also was is that he was a magnificent nishama, which means not only did he have these five parts, and therefore he was connected to everything, he had the totality of everybody in him. In other words, at that point in time, there was only one nishama. And that was called Adam Arishon. So as such, he was connected not only to all the five Olamot, but he was connected to every single aspect of every single world. Could you imagine how much he encompassed? You see. So had he st- stood his ground, so to speak, until 6 p.m., which would have been safe, then he would have rectified not only all the olamot, but he would have rectified every area of every olam. Because his neshama is called the grand soul, or the grand neshama. Because he was connected to everything, all the olamot. And had he done the mitzvah of not eating, he would have rectified the entire creation, which would have been absolutely incredible. Now, on the opposite end is the reverse. Since he is now also connected to every olam, 
Ani is connected also to every part in every olam. If he sins, then he will damage the entire Bria, which is amazing when you think about that. And that's exactly what happened. Fortunately, what happened also, which I had mentioned quite a while ago, is that the Yechida of Adam HaRishon, that's the highest aspect of Dinishama, which is connected to Ilm uh, Habo, flew away right before he sinned. It left him. So because it left him, it was not used as an instrument to damage that world. So as a result of that, the Yechida of Adam Harishan is pure. It was never damaged, you see, and it never became Tomei, you see, and as a result of that, it is Yechida also of all Neshamot. Because remember, Adam Harishan is the totality of all Neshamot. Therefore, his Yechida is also the totality of all Neshamot. That's where it is. Therefore, when it flew away, so to speak, it is, was never harmed or damaged, or it, it never, uh, in many ways, uh, uh, it never became tamay or defiled. Therefore, the Yechid of Adam, I once mentioned, is the Nishmas of the Mashiach ben Yosef and ben David. They have, or ultimately the ones who become the Mashiachan, Ben Yosef and Ben David, will actually get the Yechid of Adam Horishan. But since the Yechid of Adam Horishan is everybody's Yechidah, you see, so that means both Mishichan will have the Yechidah together of everybody. And as a result of that, they too alone can bring down a tremendous awe from the Ein Soif, which is God, all the way into the Nishama, Nishamot, I should say, of every single Jew, because they have the Yechida of every single Jew. You see. Now, these are very important ideas, because they set a stage for what happened. Now, so therefore Adam, who was the first Metakein, you see, he was not a Jew. You see. And therefore, when he sinned, he was able to defile, contaminate the, all the souls that were in him, which is basically everybody. And as a result of that, he now set about a new task for whoever would come after him, you see. <clears throat> and therefore, as a result, everybody would now have a new task, which I had mentioned, and that new task means you have to do what? You have to remove the Tum'ah first. Before you bring down the Kiddushah, you need to remove the Tum'ah. And therefore that became a necessity to have an individual who specializes in removing Tum'ah. And you would have to have an individual who specializes in bringing Kiddushah or, or light. You see... And by the way, the gematria of Or, which is 207, is equal to Insaif, which is God. That is the Or, you see. So it comes out that the Mashiach ben Yosef, his primary job is to deal with Tum'ah, is to deal with 
defilement, you see, and to remove it, you see. And the other one, Mashiach ben David, his job is not to deal with defilement. His job is to, uh, when, once the world becomes purified through Mashiach ben da, uh, Yosef, his job is to bring down tremendous amount of awe, kiddushah, or divine presence into the world. And the world, therefore, will be radically changed. Now, once Adam has failed to do that, then the job of tikkun would now go to his descendants, you see. So it then went into uh, Hevel, Cain and Hevel. And Cain, if you'll notice, was an Ovid of Adama. He was a worker of the ground, sort of like a farmer. And Hevel was a shepherd. And why were there two? Because Hevel, or rather Cain, his job was like the Mashiach ben Yosef. His job was to deal with the Tum'ah. And that's why God says to him, he addresses him. And Oivet Adama means to work the earth, which really means to filter the earth or the gross physicality and to purify it by removing the Zoyamo, which is the defilement, by the way, that Adam put into the Bria after his sin. So the word Ovid Adama means to work the ground, you see, and what that would mean is that he would be able to remove the Zoyamo and purify the earth or the physicality, and that I mentioned is called Zikuch, you see. And therefore, his job was like the Mashiach ben Yosef, to remove the Tum'ah, or the Zohamo, of the earth itself. And that's why God addresses him and says, you know, La Pesachatas revates. Sin awaits at the door, you see. But, but you can rule over it. Why is he talking about this to Cain? Because that's the job of Cain, is to be Mashiach ben Yosef. In fact, in a certain sense, he was the original. Because Adam was not Mashiach ben Yosef. There was no need for that because there was no Tumah. It was external to the body of man, you see. But once he sinned, he introduced evil, Tumah, into the world. And therefore, you need somebody to remove it. And that would be Mashiach ben Yosef in the form of Cain. Hevel, however, his job was not to remove Tumah. He was a royal son. He was a shepherd that would bring the flock back to the corral. His job was Meshach ben David, you see. And that is to bring Kedushah into the world, you see. And that really is the job of Meshach ben David. That's his job, to bring Kedushah, or the Insoif, God, his presence, the Shekhinah, into the world. You see, so we now begin to see that you had two forerunners. First, Mashiach ben Yosef was Cain, and the second one, Mashiach ben David, was Hevel. You see. Now, in a certain sense, the Bria, the creation, was not as damaged as we know it now. Had they been able to do their job, which means had Cain not killed Hevel, then in a certain way they could have also been metakain the world. 
Because even after the sin of Adam, it wasn't as bad as what we have now. Now it's absolutely terrible. But in those days, the only one who did the sin was Adam. So therefore, had they done, or rather had they did what they should have done, especially Cain, then he could have conquered evil, like God says to him. You know, sin lies at the door, right? And and his desire is to you. Because what sin wants, or the Satan, he wants you to sin, so he can grow, and so on. So what you can do is, but you can rule over it. That's interesting kind of way of saying things. What God is saying is that, uh, you know, you could change what Adam, your father, did. You see. So it's actually possible for Cain to rectify creation first, and then Hevel, <clears throat> who would be in the line of Mashiach ben David, he would do the rest. You see historically how it worked. So you actually could have had what's called a makeup test with Cain and Hevel. So what happens? Of course, same thing. Cain, instead of doing his job and not being jealous of Hevel, you see, he kills Hevel, he kills Hevel which of course is terrible, you see. And by the way, that's what begins in that time, the rivalry or the jealousy between Mashiach ben David and Mashiach ben Yosef. And by the way, we have had that rivalry throughout generations, you see. You had it as we will see later on, you know, the rivalry between Ben Yosef and Ben David in terms of Yaakov and Esau. Yaakov was in the parsha of Mashiach ben David. His job was to sit in the tent and learn Torah and bring down Kedusha. And Esau, he was an Ishadah, he would go out into the field and purify the field by remaining resistant to all the Tumah, you see. So it comes out that Yaakov and Esau, again, is ben David and ben Yosef. And Ben Yosef hated Ben David. Why? Because that's the rivalry that exists, you see. You had further examples of this rivalry. The classic example is Yehuda and Yosef. Yehuda is the one, right, who suggested that Yosef be sold into slavery. You see, again, that's the rivalry between Yehuda, who's the Mashiach Ben David, and Yosef, was Mashiach ben Yosef. You see? And it continues on and on. There's always this rivalry. You see? In fact, you have the rivalry later on between Shaul and David HaMelech. Shaul, who is B'nai Rochel, he's also, since he's B'nai Rochel, Benyamin, he's also the Pasha of Mashiach ben Yosef. Because you can always ask yourself a question. How can Shaul be a Melech? Because we know that the Malchus, the kingdom, has to go through Yosef. Or rather, it has to go through uh, Yehuda. Shaul was from Binyamin. So, why would God tell Shmuel Hanavi to appoint Shaul HaMelech to be king? You see? It should have been somebody who's from the, uh, the tribe of David. 
But the answer is because Shaul was really in the parasha of Mashiach ben Yosef. Because Rachel gave birth to Yosef and Benjamin. And he was Bnei Yosef. He was Bnei uh, of Benjamin. You see? So it comes out that Shaul HaMelech was really in the parasha of, of Ben Yosef. So he could be a king. His problem was the same jealousy. David. He tried to kill David. So many different times. For whatever reason. And David, of course, is Mashiach ben David. So there you are again. Same rivalry. You see? And then it continues that rivalry. It continues after David, you had Shlomo. And Shlomo had a son, Rechavam. You see? Rechavam was the king of Israel. And that again is the concept of Mashiach ben David. But they rebelled. Who rebelled? Yerav ben Nevot. If you remember the Yenach, he rebelled against Rechavam. In fact, he's the one who split the ten kingdoms because of him. Who is Yerav ben Nevot? Yerav ben Nevot was a shurish of Mashiach ben Yosef. That's who he really was. He was an extraordinarily great man, you see, of which we don't even understand how great he was. But again, since he was a human, he was subject to, obviously, human foibles. And therefore, he hated Rechavam. So here again you have Yosef is battling with David. To such an extent, obviously, where Yosef, right, he actually takes away ten kingdoms from David or Rechavam. And that's the origin of the ten tribes, which are now the ten lost tribes. You see? So you have this constant warfare, jealousy or rivalry between Yosef and also David. And it continues. That's why in the Haftarah, and that's why, which is interesting, finally Yehuda, who again is the rival of Yosef, because he's the one who told them to sell Yosef in slavery, you know, finally Yehuda confronts Yosef about the fact that uh, Yosef, who's obviously hiding as the uh, Grand Vizier of Egypt, that was the ultimate confrontation. And finally, Yosef admits who he is, and therefore there now becomes peace. But the rivalry still continues. In fact, in the Haftarah of Vahigash, famous Haftarah, where it says, God says, and in the end of time, Yosef and Yehuda, or Yosef and David, right, will no longer fight amongst themselves. In fact, he uses a certain terminology, and they will both be as one in my hand. It's a very important idea, uh, you see. Because ultimately what that means is that Yosef finally and Yehuda will not fight. On the contrary, they will rule together in ultimate harmony. But that will only be at the end of time when there is no more rivalry and jealousy, you see. And Yosef will do what he does as a Mashiach ben Yosef. And I mentioned that his main job is four ideas, one of which is very important, that he will build the Beis HaMikdash. And also, he will be the teacher of Kray Yisrael. His job is to teach. It's to bring down the Orishan 
the Or Mashiach, the Messianic light. And Mashiach ben David, his job will be to execute the, uh, to become the, the president, so to, so to speak, the executive branch, where he will rule over the entire world, actually, but certainly he will rule over the Jewish people. And together, they will bring down, that will be the fabric of the Messianic era. Mashiach bin David, Mashiach bin Yosef, and there will be a third partner. Who is that? Moshe Rabbeinu. What was that? He said Moshe. Did you say Moshe? Yes. Great. It will be Moshe Rabbeinu. Those three will rule over Klai Yisrael, you see. <clears throat> so at that point in time, there will no longer be jealousy and hatred and rivalry, which has been true for thousands of years. But now you understand, it really started with Cain and Hevel, you see. So Cain killed Hevel, so he was gone. And then ultimately Cain himself, he had generations, Lemach and so on. And ultimately, they all died, they all disappeared, and whatever. And then the human race continues. But what's interesting about that is the human race is now all metakain. Every one of them is Jewish, in the sense that they all have the five-part neshama, <clears throat> that they can rectify creation, you see. And therefore, it continues until Noah. And at the time of Noah, of course, I had mentioned, is when they ultimately sinned terribly, and God dis- decided to destroy them and to restart creation. But not only that, it continues, you see, in the form of Noah. And finally, you get to what's called the Dor Ha-Flogo, or the Tower of Babel. That is a very important idea, which I had talked about, the whole concept of the UN, and that was the last test. Because God decided, I'm going to test everybody. I gave them 2,000 years to do the tikkun. You see. Now, if they follow Avraham Avinu, they will remain one nation, which are all metakain. So as, as such, there's no need for a Jew, because all mankind can do the tikkun. But if they follow Nimrod and rebel against me, then I will take them away from the ability to do tikkun, and I will give it to Avraham Avinu. Now that's a very important idea. What does that mean, really? We know that God split them into 70 nations. It's called the Ayan Umus, the 70 nations. So even if you have a nation, for instance, that has other nations after it, the root is still the original 70. So there are 70 nations, all, and these are the 70 roots. There could be more than one nation from a given root. You see, for instance, the United Nations has 193 nations as part of, you know, the, the world. There are 193, but we know that there's only 70. So how could there be 193? Because many of the nations, many of the nations have the same spiritual essence, or shoresh, root. But politically, they could be divided. For instance, example, Germany. Germany, Austria, Switzerland, they're really one, uh, uh, one, one, one nation. But politically, they are different nations. 
So even though there are 193 nations in the United Nations, really there's only 70. Now, the number 70 is very important because we see many concepts of 70. One, the 70 nations that were divided by the Tower of Babel. Two, we see also that when the Jews went into Egypt, how many souls went in? Shivim, 70. Right? It says Shiv Nefesh Baal and Mitzrayim. There were 70 souls that went into Egypt, which is interesting, you see. We also know that there are 70 languages. Not only that, but there are 70 members of the Sanhedrin. You see. There are also 70 facets of Torah. Ayin ponim le Torah. There are 70 facets of Torah. Ways of looking at Torah. You see. Not only that, there's also 70 panim. The 70 oxen that they sacrificed on each day of Sukkot. On the first day was 13, then 12, 11, 10, 9, 8, 70. If you add up all the oxen that were sacrificed on, on Sukkot, it adds up to 70. You see? So the question is, what is the meaning of all this? Why are there 70? And then we see the repeat of these 70. You see, 70 members of the Sanhedrin, 70 ways of learning Torah, 70 languages, 70 people that come into Egypt, 70 oxen. Like, what is all this? Okay? So, uh, in order to understand what it means, and from this you now be, will begin to understand the division of Jews into Svardim and Ashkenazim. But first you have to deal with the concept of 70. God created the world with 70, or rather with 10 Svirot. That's how he created the world. 10 Svirot. Keser, Chochmo, Bina, that's the first triad. Then you have Chesed, Gvuro, and Teferis, the second triad. Then you have Netzach, Ahoyd, and Yesoid, the third triad, which is, nine, which is nine. And then you have Malchut, which is the last. And uh, so that totals 70. Now, what is important is that these, seven, these ten Sfirot created everything. You see, they created the entire world. Okay? Now, each one, let's say Keter, which is the highest, that itself is divided into ten. The same ten. Keser, Chochmah, Bina, Chesed, Gevuru, and Tferes, Netzachod, Yesoit, Malchus. And each one of those are ten. And each one of its subparts is ten. It's like an infinite progression of ten. 10, within 10, within 10, within 10, and so on. Ad Einsoif. Infinite. But we only consider, when we're looking at this, obviously we're not going to follow it all the way down, is the first two levels, which is the first 10, right? And then they have their 10. So Kessa has 10, right? Chochmah has its 10. Same 10. Bina has its ten, Chesed, Gvura, Teferis, each one have their ten, then you have Netzachod, Yisoid, Malchus. So each one has ten. Now if you add them all up, how many are there? A hundred. 
right? You have the original 10. Each one is subdivided into, a, uh, into its subsfirot called the same 10. So 10, which is the original, let's call the primary, right? They are composed of secondary sfirot, which are 10 also within each one. So that's 100 sfirot. Okay? Now, that's a very important division. And then it just keeps going 10 divided by 10 divided by 10 and so on. In any case, we'll just focus on the first two levels. The 10 and their 10, which is 100. 10 times 10 is 100. Now, of these 10 sfirot, a sfira is a force. We do not know what they are. They are of the greatest spirituality. We have no idea what they are. But God uses them to create all reality. And they create all reality, which are all the five ulamot, you see. So, the ones that create everything, basically, is the first three. Keser, Chochmo, and Bina. They create everything, you see. But, what creates the physical world, or Ulam Hazeh, is the bottom seven, not the first three. So, Keser, Chochmah, and Bina, they create everything, and what they create, they give rise to, is the lower seven, which is Chesed until Malchus. Those, so the first three are called the Gimel Rishonis, the f- three originals, or first ones, and the second ones, there's the seven of them are called the Zayin Tachtoinus. You see? The lower seven. Now, if you remember, each one has ten. So it comes out that the upper three really have thirty. That's the secondary Svirot. And the lower seven is called the Zayin Tachtoinus. Right? The lower seven. Each one has ten. So that's seventy. You see? Those are the seventy Svirot that create Ulam Hazer. That's a very important concept, you see. So we now understand the origin of 70. But actually, the original idea is, for, is 10. But the first three, as I said, creates the lower seven. They form the lower seven. And it is the lower seven, which is called the Zayn Tachtoinus, it's also called Za or Zer Antin. They create the entire Olam Hazer. And that is why there are seven days. Each day is connected one Svira, you see. So Sunday is Chesed. Monday is Givura. Tuesday is Tiferet. Wednesday is Netzach. Thursday is Hoid. Friday is Yesoid. And Shabbat is Malchus. That's why Shabbos is called Shabbos Malkasa. Okay? So therefore, the seven days of the week, each day was created by one Sphira of the group of the seven, the lower seven. Okay, everybody got that? Now that's a very important concept. Okay. Again, there's the first three. That's the Gimel Rishonis, Rishonot. Then the lower seven is the Zayn Tachtonot. And the lower seven creates what's called Ulam Hazer. And that's the seven days of the week. Each sphere created what is created in the seven days of the week. You see. 
Now, the seven days of the week, like I said, originates from the seven Svirot. But we know that when you look at the seven Svirot and their subdivisions, each one has ten. So seven times ten is seventy. So it comes out that the primary cause of Oilam Hazer is seventy Svirot. Seven main ones, primary. And then you have each one having ten, you see. So therefore, that's 70. We now understand, therefore, that there are 70 different halakim, portions or parts of the Svirot, the lower seven, that creates Ilam Hazeh, this world. You see, now that is a very important idea. The concept of the seventy, you see. Now, the idea is this: is that what needs to have a tikkun, which means what needs to be turned on, if you want to use that expression, and what needs to be, you know, the, that these seventy svirot, which is ten plus its ten parts of each one, is seventy. The tikkun is when you when you light up, illuminate these 70 Svirot to a much greater extent. When that happens, they will therefore mezakech, they will therefore purify Ilm Hazeh. You see. So it comes out that the Tikkun process really involves 70 Svirot. That's what it is. And you will notice therefore like I said, is that the tikkun is really a 70-part uh, process. It has to, you have to rectify all 70 of those svirot. Now, when you rectify one of them, you automatically rectify all its subdivisions below it. You know, divided by seven, 10, divided by 10, divided by 10, and so on. But the critical things to rectify is the first two levels, the original 10, but the original 10, each one has 10, right? And the main ones are the lower 7, from Chesed to Malchus, Malchut. And therefore, Tikkun means to rectify 70 Svirot. That's what it means. And now you understand, there are 70 nations. Each nation has to rectify 170th. That is why there are 70 Shiroshim, 70 roots and each nation has to rectify 170th so therefore all the 70 nations so to speak right can rectify all the 70 parts of the totality of Ilm Hazer and then you could create Ilm Habo because then the first three Keser, Chochmah and Bina is illuminated and they will then change the entire Oilem Hazeh ultimately into Oilem Habo. Everybody got that? That's so far the way it works. Okay. Now, just remember that, the concept of 70, and how it works, how you get to the 70, and that ultimately the Tikkun is on all 70, you see. And that's why, like I said, since the Tikkun is on all 70, you need 70 Shrashim, 70 roots, 
ultimately speaking, that will rectify the entire 70th, 70 parts of Ulam Hazeh, you see. And, and this is ultimately what happens, you know. Um, there, there are many other ideas of seven. There are seven, uh, how many, how many uh, colors of the rainbow are there? Seven. How many musical notes are there? Seven. And then it repeats itself on the eighth. But there are seven original notes, musical notes. How many colors of the rainbow are there? How much ore is there? Seven, right? Red, orange, yellow, green, blue, indigo, and violet. Right? Those are the seven, those are the colors of the rainbow. Right? Those are the colors that come to a prison. Why there are seven colors? Because each color is represented by a sphira. Again, because the original light, right, which was seven, each, each one has a color. The same thing, each sphira has a particular musical note, which is really the notes, you know, A, B, C, D, E, F, G, whatever that, you know, and so on, you see? This is the origin of the concept of seven and the origin of the concept of 70, which I will explain much greater detail next week. Okay. Any questions so far? Hmm. I'm waiting for two people to hear you. I can't hear you. What? So um, Rachel's asking that... Um, yeah? That Mashiach ben Yosef and Mashiach ben David... Are they, uh, she's asking, are they originally going to go against each other? No. When, in the Messianic era? Yeah. That's a, no. No. Had, they will uh, rule together harmoniously. And that's the Haftarah. Like I said, Vayigash. God is saying that no longer will they fight each other and therefore divide the Jewish people. They will work harmoniously with tremendous achdut. You see, that's v'hoyulachodim, and they will be as one, biyodi in my hand, which means that both will work together to further the entire uh, tikkun uh, effect. So that will no longer be. But what I pointed out is the rivalry that has existed throughout Jewish history, which started from Cain and Evel, you see. So is there a long period of time when Joseph is here to when David comes? Well, it doesn't say how long Ben Yosef will rule, but I don't think it's going to be that long because the majority of time is not for Ben Yosef. The majority of time, the Gula, remember, redemption, look, think about this, right? A woman gives birth in, in right? takes nine months, right? You know, but it doesn't take nine years. You see? It's, in other words, the concept of Ben Yosef is like a woman giving birth. It's a tekufa where the world goes from one position, which is Tum'ah, Zoyamo, to another position where there is no Zoyamo. In other words, it's all been transformed. You see? It's called uh, the Ibor, you see, the pregnancy, it's a Kabbalistic term, uh, you see. So, Ben Yosef is involved in this uh, transformation. But the transformation doesn't take that long. 
the transformation God wants to be done in a couple of years. And then once Ben David comes in, that will go on until the year 6000, which is the English year 2240. That's the real 90% of the Tekufa, of the period of time of Gula, is Ben David, not Ben Yosef. You see. And Ben Yosef is only the transition. He's the one that changes from A to B. See, from Hester to what's called Haora, from concealment to enlightenment. He's the guy that brings that about. But once the world has achieved enlightenment, which is the Mashiach ben David, then both will rule, each one, each one having a specific job, you see, and they will work in harmony. So what does Yosef have to do? Like, what's going to ha- like, what, what, what does the war consist of? What does he have to do in order to remove the Zohama? Like, what does he need <clears throat> well, to do? Well, what does he have to do? Yeah, what is, like, yeah, what's this, like, what do we know? Have? Do we know the sequence of events? Like, he needs to do this first, and then, th- then this will happen, and this, and then... And this well, when you are talking about Ben Yosef, you are talking about different stages. Okay. The first stage is he does not know who he is. And in that stage, there's a tremendous amount of suffering, Yisurin. Because you're looking at an individual that does not know who he is. He suspects that there's something wrong. He's an individual that has tremendous spiritual potential, but cannot actualize hardly any of it. And that to him is an unbelievable frustration. And that frustration brings a tremendous amount of pain. The second stage is when he is made aware of who he is. Just like God revealed himself to Moshe Rabbeinu. In fact, they're very similar. Imagine Moshe Rabbeinu is 80 years old, right? He ran away 26 years old. He's in Galut, outside of Egypt, right? For 54 years. Could you imagine the frustration he must have had being outside of Egypt? where there are no Jews, right? No contact at all with any Jew at all, right? Could you imagine his frustration? A man like that with such unbelievable spiritual potential is absolutely nowhere. Spiritually, that is. So, we don't know. The Torah doesn't talk about that. There are Midrashim that talk about his life in Ethiopia and so on. You know, but what was it like personally for him to be on the, you know, the outer fringes. Because remember, all the Jews were in Egypt. So what did he go through, personally? His personal profile. He must have suffered greatly. Because as far as he knew, it was over for him. He would never see the Jews again. You see? And he's, imagine he's 80 years old. Right? The day before God appears to him. He's saying, I'm 80 years old. That's an old man. Right? And I'll never get to Egypt, which means I'll never see the Jewish people again. And he said he will die in his old age, completely having not fulfilled any of his potential. That is some type of understanding of the Asurin of Mashiach ben Yosef. Then there's stage two, where all of a sudden he becomes aware of who he is. 
But even then, he's not what he could be. He has to grow. He has to become greater and greater. And therefore, he gets released from his klipa. He's released from his chains. He's released from his so-called prison. And he begins to grow. You see? And as he grows, people become aware of this individual. Um, because he's obviously nothing near what people basically have ever seen before. Now that's basically, you know, he's really grown. Um, but in the beginning, you know, he emerges slowly. And since he's a Mashiach Ben Yosef, there is nothing in the universe that can stop him. You see? It's impossible to stop the man. Whatever he does will be successful. Because that's the Indian of Mashiach Ben Yosef. Right? That stage, so that stage is stage number three. When he's growing, you see? Finally, he achieves his potential and he becomes this unbelievable figure that is able to do many things. And I mentioned that. Build the Beit HaMikdash, bring down the Orishan, and the Galut. Bring down the Galut, you know, and the Galut. And bring, bring all the Jews back to Eretz Israel. Now that takes an unbelievable success. I mean, it's not hard for God to do any of this. But could you imagine how much opposition will, will, be, will, will exist while somebody's pulling out all the Jews? You know, and so on. <clears throat> and that's going to be very difficult. But he does that. And then finally, basically there's some type of major conflict that tries to stop him, you know, whatever the conflict is. And as a result of that, right, um, there is some type of, you know, like I say, conflict. And then Mashiach bin David appears and he settles the score. He's able to wipe out just by his mouth. It's all miraculous then. And destroy all those people that were trying to destroy Israel and the Mishkan. And then begins the Tkufa, right after Mashiach ben David comes, begins Tchirtamesim, the resurrection of the dead. But before that begins, he destroys the Satan. So the Satan no longer can function in the physical world. So you have a physical world without Zoyama, which is unheard of. The last time that happened, a physical world without Zoyama was Adam Arisha. Yes. But even he had the possibility of Zoyama because he had the Satan in the form of an Akash, snake. But in the time of Ben David, Mashiach Ben David, you see, there will be no longer the Satan. So there's no longer the Zoyama. So that means everybody, all the Jews, will be equal to Adam Arishon before the sin. Now we have no idea what that means. It's impossible for us to understand what the level or the type of person that you will be, you see. Now, once the Zoyamo is, re is uh, removed, lifted, and the Satan does not exist, then you have Tchiyatamesim, that means all the dead will arise slowly, not in one shot, you know, it'll take time, and slowly each Jew that ever was, lived, whatever, will arise from the dead 
with a body that has no zoyamo. And therefore there's no such thing as sickness or death, illness. Everything is an incredible uh, world where there's no problem with panasa. Everything happens automatically. You see? So he, what he has to do, Mashiach ben Yosef, is ultimately start. But he, his start, like I said, is the, the time period that he suffers. He starts when God appears to him, when he's released. You see, when his neshama is released from what's called the klipa, which surrounds him and doesn't allow the light of God to affect his neshama. That's basically what causes his, in, his, uh, his incapacity to be spiritual, you see. That's the gula. That's called aschalta de gula. And that's when it begins. And that is when the sfira of Yesod pours into Malchut. Because Malchus really is the recipient, it's a vessel of all the hashpa'ah, all the divine energies of the upper nine. When they pour into Malchut and there's no longer a barrier, right? That automatically he is released. And that's called the Pekida. You see. And that's the beginning of the Gula. Atchalta di Gula is when he is released. But when he is released, then everybody begins to change. Not just him. Because remember, in order for him to be Mashiach ben Yosef, he has to have the Yechidah of Adam HaRishon. But if you remember, the Yechidah of Adam HaRishon is everybody's Yechidah. It's called the collective Yechidah. And that collective Yechidah, or at least half of it, now crowns Mashiach ben Yosef. In fact, that is the crown of Mashiach ben Yosef. Without the Yechid of Odomorishan, he cannot be a Mashiach ben Yosef. He doesn't have the Yechida. And the Yechida, which is connected to Ilam Habo, is the only conduit or pipe through which the ore of the Ein Soif can flow through. That's what the Yechida is. It is the only pipe, so to speak, or vessel, that the Ein Soif can flow into through. And then into the Mashiach ben Yosef, and then out to the rest of the Jewish people. You see? So that's a sort of like a bird's eye view of what has to happen. So we're hoping, I mean, through, through the, all the gematias and stuff, that the Shabbat before the Shabbat, how it all is touched and pay, that that hopefully could be the step two of when <coughs> he finds out and the klipa is released and the yesod pours into the machu. Yeah. But in fact, that, what, that, what, what's going to happen is in one second, it'll be reversed. Wow. Just look like Moshe Rabbeinu. He's walking uh, wherever he was walking, and all of a sudden he sees this bush, right, that doesn't seem to burn or consumed. And he said, let me turn aside. And within the next minute, he was a changed man. You can't get faster than that. That's what happens. It's called Keherof Ayin. That change 
from an individual who is lost, lonely, you know, incapacitated, his change will be in one minute. And then, of course, he'll grow. Just like Moshe Rabbeinu. <clears throat> All it took was one minute for Moshe Rabbeinu to say, let me turn aside and see this wondrous sight. Right? And the next minute was the greatest minute of all. Right? It was a change in history. Total change. Same thing with Mashiach Ben Yosef. At some point in time, the Moshe will somehow communicate to him, right, that you're the man, and remove him from his chains. And that will be in a second, a split second. Now, he's going to have to adjust to that, obviously. So, Rabbi, when you going, Mashiach ben yeah. David is going to come help Mashiach ben Yosef, are you talking about the Mechama and Gog Magog? Yes. There will be some type of conflict. Yes. Is it going to be... That, so, my yeah. question is, once Mashiach ben Yosef come, is there still death, like our Jews are still going to be dying? Yes. Yes. They, they will only stop dying when Mashiach ben David comes. So once Mashiach and David comes, um, he'll help in Gog and Magog, but whoever got to David, you made it. Until yep. the other team. Correct. In fact, I would even say whoever got to Ben Yosef got it, made it. If you can make it to Mashiach Ben Yosef after he's been revealed, then you basically made it. Yeah. Oh, so once the only thing is when Ben... Yeah? Once Yosef reveals himself... You technically made it into the club. Like, you're in. The you're process. in, yeah. Base, yeah, you're in. You're one of the lucky. Yeah. Because remember, Ben Yosef will have uh, unbelievable prophecy. You're not dealing with a regular guy. You're not dealing with a tzaddik. You're dealing with a man that has pro- pro- prophetic powers, which is awesome, you see. He'll be able to look at you and tell you exactly who you are, what your neshama is, all the gilgulim that you've gone through, what you've done, what you haven't done, and so on. Yeah, it'll be an unbelievable. So, but when, you know. when there's Melchama of Gog Magog, technically, the Jewish people's not going to be scared because we have Mashiach Ben Yosef with us. Yes, theoretically, but remember one thing. Don't forget. They had Moshe Rabbeinu also, and they were still frightened. And why? What? Why? <laughs> Do you, you understand what I just said? I understand, but I'm, 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 I don't, but, but I don't understand. I mean, here they have Moshe Rabbeinu, who they all knew, and this was after all the plagues. And we're not they... talking about before. So they saw the hand of God for one year. And they saw Moshe Rabbeinu did it. Nobody else did it, right? <clears throat> And then when they were all standing at Kriyat Yamsuf, they were all screaming, right? You took us out in the desert to die? What are you talking about? You know, you just saw who this guy is. You see? Because it just shows you the habit of people. Are we going to be able to, to, to rectify that, their, their mistakes? You know what I mean? Like, we don't have to be them. If we know now what they did, we just have to... If we know who you, when Yosef comes, whatever he says, just do it. Yes. Yeah, probably. Yeah. You know, the Jewish people say, a, hey, 
type of Ten you know, Commandments? It, what? Is it going to be Ten Plagues, something like it? Yes. Because the Ten Commandments, or the I should say the Ten... Let me just give you a four-point four parallel, yes. which I'm not going to go into. Not now, anyway. The Ten Sfirot, right, yes. are the Ten Ma'amarim, that Pirkei Ovis says. With Ten Ma'amarim, God created the world. Those are the Ten Sfirot, right? Okay. The physical analog of all Ten Sfirot are the Esamakas. Really? Each maka is a sphera that has become physical. Just like the water of Noach was a physical analog of the Orishan. And the reward, right, for what they did in Egypt and for believing in God and for going out into a desert was the Ten Commandments. So you can actually connect them all. Mimer, sphera, maka, dibur. You see? So there will be, of course, a tikkun, yes. And we're going to see these? Like, we're going to, like you, are they going to be where Yosef is already well known and we're going to... At that point in time, everybody will know he's Mashiach. Got it. Just like in the time of Egypt, everybody knew Moshe Rabbeinu was the Mashiach. They, didn't they all knew that. You know, after, te- after a year of the Makkas and what he did to Egypt. They all know. But it was proven, finally, imagine, by Kriyat Yamsuf, what does it say? By Yaminu Bashem of Moshe Avdoi. Isn't that amazing? Yeah, then they first really believed in Moshe. You know? It was only by Kriyat Yamsuf. Because the miracle of Kriyat Yamsuf was so extraordinary that no human can ever have pulled it off, no matter how great of a magician he is, you know. So what, are, what so, will be the, the purpose for these ten makot to happen during the Mashiach time? It, 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 well, the ten makot are really the physical transformations or analogs mm-hmm. of the ten svirot. And they will be the ones that will defy the nations of the world. So it's to prove to the other nations to believe in us. Yes. Just so like the ten makot did. Hashem. Yeah. Yes, that's yeah. right. Yeah. And just like there were ten makot in Egypt, yeah. which destroyed Parai, these ten makot will also destroy Goig. You see? Rabbi? Yes? I, I have, uh, well, one, two, one thing. One, I wanted to mention it was my grandfather's yard site, and it's also the yard site of the Or Shahayin tonight. So yes, you know, you're right, I candle. forgot. You know, you're right. I forgot Tonight. about that. Tonight is Yotza, you're right. Tonight is or of Or Hayim. Um, yeah, the Hayim. Also, uh, my uh, husband's grandfather, Abraham ben Regina. Uh, so Abraham ben Regina. You know, okay, Abraham ben Regina, the Shir, which we are, I am giving Thank now, you. continue, should go for the Aliyah okay. Nishama of this person. Avram ben Regina. So that, yes. I also have another question because you were you were talking a lot about the number seventy, and I yes. I also when so we seventy is the rectification. But what about Tfilata Omer? We had it's really forty nine, and I know that's, that's a very a, you know very I was waiting big opportunity. Yeah. Who's this Elise? It's to rectify. It's Elise. Yes. Okay, I was waiting for somebody to ask me that question. 
I was Why is it... before, but I wanted to learn <laughs> before I did. <laughs> okay. Uh, I'm going to answer that next week, the difference. And you're right. Because if I'm telling you there are 70 ideas of tikkun, so why are we only counting 49 days? You're right. Yes, seven weeks, seven days for Cecil. I thought it was seven, seven parts. Levels of impurity? What? What did you say? Wasn't the 49 for the levels of impurity? Yes. yes. But we would and think maybe it should be said since the, because the opposite of tikkun is what? It's, it should be tumah. So why aren't there 70 levels of Tumah, right? So why are we only and counting seven, seven times seven? That's right. I'm going to answer that next week because I'm continuing this week for next week. You know, when you really understand uh, what, what, you know, all the developments after that. But it's, a good, it's a very good question, by the way. Thank you. Thank you. Sure. Okay. That's it. Until next week. Listen, hang in there because we are really very close. Wait. What? You're talking about close as this Tisha B'Av? Well, we are close to the entry of, I believe, Mishikh Ben David. Uh, excuse me, Mishikh Ben Yosef. So, so, get ready for this fast, you Zion Tammuz, but maybe Tisha B'Av we're not going to have to fast? Well, you know, possibly, uh, it's possible. possibly, it's possible, yeah. Happened this week with, with the fast? Oh, Shiva, actually Thursday is Shiva Asa Bitamuz. Do you think the that mood, maybe, yeah. are we going to get rid of yeah. the Zoma? No. Uh, well, you know, you never know. Like I told you, when it, when it happens, it's going to be Keher of Ayin, Ke- out of nowhere. Keher of Ayin means the blink of an eye. 